Welcome to episode 22 of Cold Take Sports Talk. You're in the right place to hear current sports topics with a unique perspective. Coming at you from just outside the nation's capital in Alexandria, Virginia, alongside Corey Dowd, I'm Harold Laney. Corey, let's get this party started. All right, Harold, we are going to come out swinging as we recap the first week of the 2018 NFL season. Of all the big plays and outstanding individual efforts this weekend, the marquee game was the Sunday night cap as Aaron Rodgers and the Packers traveled to Soldier Field to take on Khalil Mack and the new improved Chicago Bears defense. Harold, it was a heck of a game. Packers 24, Bears 23. The Packers scored 21 points in the fourth quarter. What are your takes? So you got to be a little nervous when you have a you know $134 million extension for a quarterback like that and you see him go down, go yeah. down, hobbled up. And you, after you, what you played through last year, you saw the impact it can have on a season. So that's got to be you know a little nerve wracking from from that side of the you know field because they really don't have much behind him. No, no, I think they're I think it's safe to call him probably average at best, with the exception of Aaron Rodgers, right? Yeah, that that team's built around him yeah. being able to perform. Yeah. So you know that yeah that's definitely that's definitely scary and you know you know looking at him like can he play. What level is he going to play at from now on going forward? Like this season early, especially at why this heals up. What's going to be like the the short term impact even on him, right? Versus like the long term, like he might be healthy enough to play, but it's also the beginning of this extension. Is it worth putting him out there hobbled? You know, he does have an amazing release. Like his arm is is great, his release is great, but that's a big risk putting a quarterback out there on one leg. Playing in the uh, one leg in the NFL, I mean, you, you're on borrowed time. It's just going to be a matter until all of a sudden that one leg is taken from you. To see him hobbling around like that uh, and hit Randall Cobb for that 75-yard touchdown that ended up being the game winner. But I remember sitting here and looking over at Ashley and saying, why is he playing on one leg You know, in the second half of week one? I mean, was this an injury where he knows he's done for the year and he's just like, leave me out there, this is it? Or what? what's... So, so I do, I I read about that a little bit and they said basically when they did their evaluations, the doctors were pretty sure he couldn't damage it further. Okay. So whatever it is... It's just a pain tolerance thing. Whatever it is, it is. And, you know... I guess you could take that a couple different ways, right? That, that could be yeah. kind of cause for concern if, if, it's, if it hurts the point that it can't get worse. Yeah. I mean, that's... That doesn't sound good. Yeah, or or at least, yeah, or not to the point where it can't get hurt worse, but to the point where that injury is not going to be the prelude to an additional injury. How about Khalil Mack just wreaking havoc, Harold, in the first half? He had a sack, forced fumble, and then he had that 27-yard interception off to Sean Kaiser that was one of the worst interceptions I've seen in recent memory. Uh, not bad for a guy that's had one week of practice under his belt. Yeah, so uh, I didn't I didn't get to watch this game, but I've watched Kaiser. Um, um, throw enough interceptions when he was with the Browns last year to kind of know what he is. And it's unfortunate that that's what they have to run out there with that offense ready to go. Well, they chose him over Brett Huntley. They, they traded did. away Huntley. They did. Yeah. But, you know, Mac. so this is interesting. He's the first player since 82 with a sack, interception, forced fumble, and a fumble recovery in a half. Yeah. And that stat was started to be capped in 1982. So he's the only person that's ever done it. And only one person's done it in an entire game game and that was in 2016 and guess who that was that'd be Khalil Mack so yeah I mean he's a difference maker he earned his money uh but to see Aaron Rodgers out there gutting it out I mean that 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 was something to say all right Harold we're gonna keep it moving here to uh, one of the surprises of the weekend the Tampa Bay Buccaneers came into the Superdome shocked the Saints 48 to 40 behind the right arm of Ryan Fitzpatrick 
The Magic Man was 21 of 28 for 418 yards and four touchdowns. Harold, what in the heck happened in the Big Easy? Well, you know, a couple things happened. I think with with Winston being suspended, and they knew that was coming. Yeah, Fitzpatrick probably got those reps. You know, he so he well, wasn't, yeah. it, it wasn't it wasn't like someone going in on a week's like quarterback wasn't hurt last week and came in. Right. You had a highly cerebral quarterback with that has physical skills when he's healthy to play. He's done this in multiple offenses. Ran it good. He used to be my boy. Yep. Back in the day when he was in the Natty. So I, I watched him. He does have his moments where he looks like a very capable single collar, and you've seen them too with Buffalo. Yeah. But we've we've both also saw that other side of the yep. coin. And it just happened that this was the kind of game that usually Drew Brees will... It wasn't like they weren't scoring. Right. But this is usually a game where the other team can't keep up in the track meet, especially if the Ryan Fitzpatrick is running the track meet. I was, yeah, that was surprising. But it goes back to what we talked about last week, though. Remember, we were talking about some of the skill players that, that Tampa Bay brings to the table. There's weapons there. Yeah. And Fitzpatrick is a guy that has struggled to do it consistently. Um, like we said, he's had a, a bunch of stops at Houston, Tennessee. I mean, I... I that sounds like a drinking game, trying to name every place that Ryan Fitzpatrick has played. New York. But he gets hot. Yeah, New York. He gets hot. And and these are things that he can do. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if he lays a dud next week. I know they got a tough schedule out of the gate. I think they play Atlanta or Pittsburgh. Um, we're going to see. I guess my question to you, how many games does he have to win of these next two where when Jameis comes back, they say, you know what, we're going to roll with Fitz until... They already said something similar to that, or before the season even started, they said that it was going to be a wait-and-see approach. Like, I don't think the goal is ever to take this job away from Winston forever and give it to Fitzpatrick. Right. But if the team's playing well as a team, and, you know, you're sizing up, you're 5-1, and one, you know, because he comes back, so... The way I think it's three games. Three, three games, but, yeah. but it's a buy and four, and then the Steelers. So that could be, like, I think that's how they... Well, they play the Steelers. I'd have to look at it. But yeah. Pittsburgh's one of their first three games, I believe. And then they come back to to somebody tough, too, I think. Yeah. Um, we need a stat boy, like you said before. Yeah, so we need a higher one Send out. in your resumes. We're, we're hiring. So, yeah. So, Fitzpatrick's always going to – he's going to be one of those guys where he's probably never going to be your long-term solution. But right. he could get this team lined up and be playing efficient football. Like that, yeah. That's – that. I mean, 21 of 28, four touchdowns, that is super efficient. It's uh, – yeah, he can sling it, and he's a better athlete than people give him credit he's a, for. Yeah, he's a very good athlete. And speaking of like the weapons that you that you brought up, I remember last year when I think the the Bucks were the Hard Knocks team. Yeah, and I was just like, wow, these guys are good. Like even Deshaun Jackson, if you would have told me he was you know twenty seven, I would have believed it. Uh-huh. You know, and you know Evans is hard to argue him out of the top five. Well, remember when we were talking, you said you like those big pass catchers, and then you like some of the small speed guys. They have that in Jackson. Yep. They have that in Godwin. And then they have the tight end, O.J. Howard, who's basically a receiver. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Evans, yeah. who probably for my money would be my number one pick for contested balls in the NFL right now. Yeah, he's and a beast. He, yeah, I mean, he's a former basketball star, 6'5", can get up. He is a stud. and uh, He's built. Yeah, it's good. it's good to see these guys. He is built. It's good to see these guys rally though around Ryan Fitzpatrick. We we talked last week saying that you know probably sank the season. I still don't expect you know a playoff run out of Tampa Bay, but that was the first score that caught my eye. Where I'm like, wow, look at you know they they're putting up some points, and they did, and they they did for the rest of the game. To another team that puts up a lot of points here, Harold, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs, and when they announce the AFC Offensive Player of the Week, it is uh, certain to be the Chiefs' Tyreek Hill. We had 10 catches for 169 yards, two touchdowns, and also a 91-yard punt return for a touchdown. Kansas City scored 38 points, and neither Sammy Watkins uh, or Travis Kelsey did anything noteworthy. Harold, like I said, you you predicted this offense to be the best in the league. They are certainly off to a good start. Yeah, so what I I think Hill, 
is making that jump from being a top 10 guy to getting his name in that elite category because he's doing all the things that you need to see him do. You know, he he, he has speed, whatever. That's, yeah, that's... We don't have to talk about that, right? right. But, but his hands, his separation, getting off the line of scrimmage, his a one yard reception for him, touchdown reception. That was yeah. just that was just smooth, and then also the big play. Yeah. So he's kind of doing it. He's kind of showing that he can run the routes. He can get off the line. You can't. You have to like really work hard to neutralize him. When the ball gets into him, he has the hands to bring it down very consistently. Yeah. So he's kind of like he's checking off these boxes for you know now it's going on to a couple of years where he's been checking these boxes. Yeah. And now he's just it's just going to a higher level. Well, Mahomes certainly obviously. Seems to trust him, right? I mean, it seems like it. If he, ten catches, I don't know how many targets he had, but I would think with his skill set, he's probably one of the guys that's easier to get open, right? You see a lot of completions to tight ends because the tight end is usually the closest receiver to the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mentioned Travis Kelsey; he he only had two catches for twenty nine yards. Sammy Watkins three for twenty one. Watkins has a tendency, or he has in the past, to to kind of lose interest if the ball is not coming his way. Travis Kelsey, I'm not sure, but it seems like with Andy Reid and then, like you said, the skill set that this kid possesses, they're just going to figure out ways to get him the football. Um, what you're seeing now in the NFL, too, on some of these uh, the big sweeping uh, draw plays, like the you know the like the jet sweep that goes around the end, you're now seeing the the receiver come in front of the quarterback, so it's technically a pass. So yep. if that ball gets dropped, yep. um, you know it, it's not a fumble, um, but. Yeah, I heard someone say when uh, Alex Smith was running the offense, it was like having the commuter Honda. Yeah, and now with Mahomes, it's like driving a Lamborghini around. I mean, track. Mahomes has the big arm, and and he's the guy where he can rock. He threw a ball sixty nine yards in the in the preseason. I mean, he can uncork one, and Tyreek Hill can certainly get behind your defense. I gotta agree with you. I think offensively, you're gonna see the the Chiefs do some things this year that's uh, kind of out of this world. Before we move on, I wanted to just throw one one more opinion, and this is coming from Phil Rivers, who's seen a lot of football. Okay, right? He says, "I don't know if I've seen anyone better the things he can do speed wise in all my time playing." That's what he was saying after wow. that. He goes, "He was unbelievable to watch." I played with Ladanian Tomlinson. Yeah, so he's that's what I said. He's right. played with players. He's watched players, and then to have him come out and to say that like. That might be the best player I've seen play. That's crazy. So, yeah. Well, hopefully for Tyreek Hill, he can he can understand the opportunity that's in front of him here. I know he's had some off the field issues in the past. Yeah. It sounds like he's kind of walking down the straight and narrow now. But yeah, he's a, he's a special talent, man. I would. Yeah, uh, he's, yeah. He's he's working himself into that conversation of elite top five guy. Elite top five. Well, I'll tell you who's not elite or top five anytime soon, Harold. That is. Uh, Dak Prescott of the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, the Panthers beat up on Dallas 16-8 to in a lackluster performance by Dak and the Cowboy offense. Prescott was 19-29 of 29 for 170 yards, no scores. Harold, I think this is what the Dallas offense is going to look like. How about you? So I'll just kind of tell you what I saw. Um, it is what the Dallas Cowboys is going to be like. So in seven of the last nine games, Prescott's threw for under 200 yards. So you're not. This was not an anomaly. Right. This is kind of like if you go, you stretch this back into last year when they took the they started taking the underneath away from him. Uh-huh. This is what Dak looks like. That's that's what I and he has these little receivers that are going to go over the middle. Everything kind of stays in front of the defense. You know, nobody's really mm-hmm. getting behind anyone. Um, also, I feel like this just feels like it's going to be a long season for Zeke Elliott because they're going to be just trying to pound away at him. You're going to see a lot of eight nine in the box and. Teams are going to make Dak Prescott be a, a pocket passer in order to beat him. And unfortunately, I just don't think he has the skill set. Well, 
No, I don't. I don't think he. Well, so this is speaking to his skill set. This is Jerry Jones quote: "We've got a quarterback that is somewhere between Jerry Goff and Cam Newton. He can do some of both of those guys do. You're gonna see it." End quote. Wow. So Jerry, <laughs> speaking to skill set, <laughs> Jerry. Take it easy on the bourbons, Jerry. <laughs> Must be nice to own your own team and My be able to spout God. off. Well, I mean, you know, that's like Deshaun Kaiser last year. What do you say? <laughs> I have the chance. It was something along the lines of I have, like, the body of Cam Newton, which he doesn't. The arm of – he named all these elite guys and, and said, you know, that he could be this combination super world quarterback. And it's like, but you weren't. You were the quarterback of the Browns and you didn't win a game. And, and Dak Prescott is – he, he might be in between those guys on some stat sheet somewhere, but that's about it. His, his rookie year, you talk about anomalies. I, I, I'm sorry. I just feel like that was an anomaly. I feel like they, you know, Zeke was a rookie. They had the best offensive line. He played well. I'm, I don't want to take anything away from the kid, and he seems like a, a real nice, upstanding guy, but I just don't think he's a pocket passer that's going to yeah. win you games. In we talked about this last week. Yeah. It, it's, time, it's time for you to take that next step up. They've countered you. It's, you know, it's a chess match. Figure it out. Be, you know, be the first guy in the film room and work yeah. on it. He has physical gifts, but I I don't know if he has. I don't know if he has like the gifts to be an elite NFL quarterback, and that's the, that's the difference. Coming out of college, a lot of he drew a lot of comparisons to Tim Tebow. He played in the SEC for Mississippi State. He played in the same type of offense, and you know, if you're a quarterback or anyone that throws anything for a living. I, you don't want to be compared to Tebow that way. You know, no. you want to be compared to Tebow off the field, and that's a whole other conversation. But as far as on the field throwing a football uh, in the NFL, you don't want to be compared to Tebow. And Dak Prescott and the Cowboys, I think they're just in for a long season. Okay, Harold, we are going to keep this thing moving over to the AFC East. Sam Darnold. The first NFL pass was a pick six, but the rookie rebounded to lead the Jets to a 48-17 pounding of the Detroit Lions last night in Motown. Lions fans have to be worried about their new head coach. And Harold, did the Jets finally have a quarterback in New York? Yeah, I, I think you know, I think they do. So what was it? Sean Payton said of all the quarterbacks in this year's draft, he probably yeah. liked Darnold the most. Yep. So it's not that surprising to see him, you know, playing early. But he is the youngest quarterback to start a NFL season opener in the modern era. So he, he is that young, yeah, like relative to everyone else. And then you, you mentioned his pick six on his first pass. There's been two other quarterbacks that have done that in their career as their first pass. James when, Winston, Brett Favre. Yep, yep, 2015, okay. 1991. So that's kind of um, a good thing. Let's see if we can get this next thing. Um, he became the first quarterback since 2001 to win by at least 31 points in his first career start. Quarterback in 2001? Yeah, one is... Uh, Steve McNair. Tom Brady. Tom Brady. TB12. Oh, oh. Did, did not have him on the list. <laughs> um, you know, I, when you watch the Jets, you know what I thought that was that was interesting, that I wish Buffalo would take a, a, a page or take a page out of the Jets book? Everywhere on the sidelines that you saw Sam Darnold, you saw Josh McCown. The whole game, constantly in his ear. And I think McCown... I'm sorry, I think Darnold has the, you know, he has the mindset and kind of the the blood pressure, if you will, to play in New York City. You know, mm-hmm. he doesn't get too down on himself. I don't think he gets too high or too low. Um, he seems to protect the football a lot better than I remember at USC. But, um, you know, we were talking off air and you looked at the stat line, like you said. And what was the stat line here, Harold? It was... 16-21 uh, to 21 for 198. Right. Two touchdowns and, like and then you he had said, that pick. That's the way that you protect a rookie quarterback. You yeah. didn't ask him to come out here and throw the ball 40 times. 
you have that that pretty impressive Jets defense with a lot of people flying around. You know, they're going to commit to the run game, but uh, he's a lot better than they've had in in New York for a while, and I yeah. look for him to be good for a long time. You put up 48 points with 21 attempts with a rookie quarterback. That's got to be your best case scenario in the the week leading up to that game. Oh yeah. So moving over though to the to the Lions just for a minute, Matt Patricia he 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 lost every uh, every coach that was coaching their their first game for the new team lost this week. Uh, Patricia supposed to be a defensive guy. A rookie quarterback comes out basically hangs fifty on you, and Patricia again he's this long line of these Belichick disciples that. Well- didn't get it going uh, on their own as a, as a coach in the NFL. Yeah, and an AFC East team shouldn't sneak up on you. Seriously, you know, of all, of all things, like you should know the personnel. You should know there's. You should know what's going on with that type of team. You you watch their game tape twice from last year, even. And the general manager was a New England guy, also Bob Quinn. So he waited for uh, Patricia. He knew who he wanted, and this is just a beatdown. And Matt Stafford, I mean, you know, I didn't realize Harold. He's played nine years in the NFL. Yeah. And everybody's still talking about like the potential. I mean, at some point here, man, he has got to, <laughs> he's got to step up. And uh, I mean, nine years is that's quite a quite a long career. Harold, we are going to keep it moving here. Speaking of uh, just letdowns, the Cleveland Browns scored 14 points in the fourth quarter after taking the Steelers to overtime. They lined up for a chip shot that would have secured the team's first win since the Obama administration. And kicker Zane Gonzalez just flat out missed it. Harold, how did this happen? So I did watch. I did watch part of this game. That was some really bad weather. Oh, like, so why? Yeah. So, so why are you when you when you get that chance to kick? I don't know. I would have probably been a little bit more aggressive trying to trying to like shave some yardage off for him there. That's a long kick in that in that weather. What, what was it? 44, it was forty six. I think. Oh, it was okay. Yeah, I think okay. I think it was pretty decent. So you know that kind of had me whatever. But then. How do you lose a game where you're plus five in turnovers? Yeah, um, that's that's really hard to do. So I, I looked that up actually because I saw that. And um, if you're plus five, teams are 132, four and one. I heard that. Yeah. And the Browns are two of the four losses and the tie. I mean that's just awful. I mean it's just like I've read some place where they said it's just so Cleveland that you. Ended your losing streak by not winning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I read, the, you know, the Bud Light lockers, right, that are locked? Yeah, 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 yeah. It does not get open in case of a not loss, so you have to get a win. Okay. So hey. the Buds are still safely locked. Good I to think know. the biggest concern is the expiration date on them. No, just that was, a, that was just too low. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, the Browns will win a game. The Browns will win multiple games this year. I'm pretty confident. Oh, the Browns aren't the yeah, worst the, team in the league. We're yeah. going to talk about that in a, in a little bit. But, now, there's there's people out there saying that if Baker Mayfield was the quarterback of that football team, they'd have a win today. Because that was a very Tyrod. I mean, I've watched a lot of Tyrod games. Usually, you don't, want him, you don't want him throwing 40 times, which he did. 15 to 40. Like you said, the weather was bad. He had the 70-plus yards running on uh, under 10 carries, and he had a touchdown. But that's what Tyrod does. He keeps plays alive. He turns third down and nines into first downs with his with his feet. But I'm not throwing my rookie quarterback out there against the Steelers on opening day if I don't have to. Could you just because could you imagine if they won that game? Because that is like the the bully just that is pounded on the little guy. Mm-hmm. You know, week in week out, and you had this opportunity to just deliver the haymaker and knock him out. Yeah, and, it was it, a distracted bully, though. It was. What's well, true? I mean, yeah. look, they, they got a lot going on there in Pittsburgh with Le'Veon Bell continuing to hold out. I mean, Connor's a good bet. So Connor had 192 total yards. Uh-huh. That's more total yards than Bell had in any game last year. 
That's a good day. So that's a really good day. But it's still that distraction. Who knows what that, you know, that led to. You know, at the end of the day, you can say distraction, whatever, but it's the turnovers. You don't turn the ball, you know. Yeah. You're lucky you tied with, with six turnovers and being minus five. You know, I, I wonder if this bell holds out as it continues. And I wonder with everything that's going on in Buffalo and how they just cannot seem to protect anyone. Mm-hmm. If you're LaShawn McCoy and you're a 30-year-old running back, I mean, you you know you're not going to win a Super Bowl in Buffalo in the next couple of years. It doesn't look like, and you you know if you want to if you want to get those career numbers up, I know he he's mentioned several times that he wants to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, he needs to be someplace where he can actually get some yardage. I don't think, know. think I what don't, he would do for Pittsburgh or the Redskins. I don't think that's. I think it's just the uncertainty. I think Connor's fine. Yeah, I think it's just the uncertainty of no of not knowing what's happening. Just the chatter. Just the locker room being divided. It's a hard. It's a hard thing because you know you're talking about another man's money. Yeah, that and that. But you're really not because it didn't seem like the conversation was really about his money. It was about what he told them he was going to do and then not doing that. Well, did you hear what Ramon Foster said? Said which, yeah. So it, which was something along the lines of you know he makes seven times what I make and I'm mm-hmm. here, buddy. I I didn't even know your name really before I read that in the paper. Like that's the the thing. I, I think you like you said talking about another man's money, a teammate of yours. You know that's how he's going to set up his himself, his family, his future. I think that's some place where you should probably tread lightly. But it, it seriously seems like he gave those guys a, a time that he was going to be there, and he failed to show. Yeah, up, that's right? why because it seemed like all the lines started talking at once. Yeah, it was silence, and then three guys speaking. You know, that's that's something drove that to happen. We kept hearing Labor Day, and it never happened. So. Yeah, Cleveland, they will win a game, but it, it wasn't this week. Okay, Harold, we're going to keep it moving now. Another uh, another team here in the AFC North, the Baltimore Ravens. They brought in three free agent wide receivers, drafted two tight ends in the offseason. All of them had a hand in the 47-3 beatdown to the Buffalo Bills this past Sunday. Mm-hmm. Now, Harold, I think the Ravens may be one of the AFC's best uh, teams. You are not that impressed. Please, your take on the 2018 Baltimore Ravens after week one. So I think I think kind of like what you said, yeah, all three of those guys caught touchdown passes. They did. So they yep. were very involved. Willie Sneed, John Brown, Michael Crabtree. You, know, you win by 44 in the NFL. No one's trying to give you anything in the NFL, no matter how whatever they are. Right. You know, overmatched, yes. You know, the, the, the Ravens were the better team, but it doesn't mean that the Bills weren't trying and giving them opposition. So but, but I, what I, what I'm saying is like where I'm not that impressed is like, the power rankings, wherever they meet, maybe I went and kind of like looked around ESPN, CBS. Yeah. They all went from like the low twenties to like 11, 12, 13. So they all jumped them up ten spots, and that's because they beat the Bills. Because they beat the Bills at home. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why I'm saying like I'm not that impressed with like that team did not get ten teams better. Yeah, because we we saw like when the Bengals and the Bills played, that line is going to give them some trouble until they fix it up. Their quarterback's going to struggle, and until that's fixed up, the pressure's going to be on the defense. So no matter where your strength is, mm-hmm. you're not going to see it until that offense gives whoever's behind the center a chance to actually run an offense. Yeah, it's 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 funny here. There's some pretty alarming alarming numbers here uh, with the career of, of Nate Peterman in Buffalo. So Peterman, Harold, he has started three NFL games, the first of which which was against the Chargers when he had the five interceptions, okay? Yeah, I remember that. The second game he ever started, everyone remembers the game last year in the snow, the Bills and the Colts. There mm-hmm. was just tons of snow on the field. Tyrod was actually hurt uh, the, the game before, so Peterman went into that game the starter, a must-win game in order for the Bills to make the playoffs. You know they told Peterman, 
You're all we got. Whatever you do, don't get hurt. Yep. He dives headfirst in the first half, gets knocked out. Enter Joe Webb, the third string emergency mm-hmm. quarterback, came in and the Bills won. Um, then he starts this game, uh, this past week, and it's the second to worst loss in the history of the Buffalo Bills. So that's three games. He's never finished a game. I mean, these are career awful games for the Bills, for himself. I just, we talked about it a little offline. I just don't think Nate Peterman is a guy that can play quarterback in the NFL in a real game situation. Yeah, the way you put it to me is you said he's probably a great 7-on-7 guy. Yeah, I think he can look at a very vanilla defense, knows what he's looking at, can make the reads. Um, But I think when you go out there and and the defensive coordinators are trying to trick you, you don't really know what's coming. They throw these different looks at at you. Um, He's a deer in headlights. And he actually makes the throws of a guy that has a Mahomes arm or a Josh Allen arm. You know, he, he you see him back there just slinging it. He's a gunslinger. He just sucks. I mean, he, he is he is not good. He, uh, he could be the the Yang to Allen Iverson's Yang, where I, Iverson was like practice. Yeah, but game time would come. Right. He was lighting up everyone. Exactly. Uh, Peterman, right? He he would be the opposite of that. Um, but I think a bigger question here is just what what is the Buffalo Bills plan? At quarterback, when you look around the league, you look at what the Browns have with Tyrod Taylor and Mayfield. No pressure on Mayfield. You see what the Jets have, where they have uh, McCown, who's just an extension of the coaching staff. He, he's with Darnold. You have Bradford out in Arizona. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if he's necessarily a mentor to John Rosen, but he's a guy that was a number one pick, or Josh Rosen. He, he's, he's seen how an NFL locker room works, and it's, it's a guy for Rosen to look at. Lamar Jackson has Flacco, and then Josh Allen has Nate Peterman. I mean, the the fact that they're, they didn't roll out here with a Matt Moore, somebody that's been in the quarterback room that understands what you need to be to be a professional. You know, Josh Allen is a small-town kid that went to a small college. I mean, his head has to be spinning, and I just don't think they've given him the right amount of help. I mean, McCarron, to get rid of him for a fifth-round draft pick before the season starts with that offensive line, I do not see the value in it. And although he only has four starts to his name, McCarron, at least, you know, he's been in the league for four years. McCarron sat in a, like, in a very good QB room with Andy Dalton, yeah. with some Hugh Jackson, right. with, you know... With a lot of guys. Yeah, with a lot of guys. They went to playoffs. Yeah, they played in games. Like, that's the kind of guy where, you know, you're, you're saving $5 million by going, like, what are you really trying to do? Even getting rid of Tarad, that's another thing, that's, too. That's exactly my point. Yeah, like, if you if you knew you were kind of going in a different direction, that's that, Taylor would be a perfect guy to put around your right. quarterback. Like, he's the kind of guy, because just watching him hard knocks, <laughs> is he the kind of guy that, that could definitely handle the situation? Yeah, he just is going and do it for another team right now. Exactly. And that's, as a Bills fan, you're you're like, he should be raising our guy. Super what's, he do, what's he doing, you know, three hours up the road in Cleveland? He's, he's taking care of their guy. He's and making that. their picket in the film room earlier, changing his study habits, telling the coach how to exactly. know his thing, how to, like, get more out of people. Right. He's like another coach on the field that's willing to help nurture your, your young draft pick, and you just gave that away, and then you get another guy that's sat in good quarter rooms, you're giving that away for what? This is... So, so what, I mean, if you're the Bills, what are you doing now? I mean, you, it doesn't look like your offensive line is good enough to, to win you games. The, the receivers couldn't get open. Um, Rich Gannon pointed out that a couple times on the broadcast. So what's your plan? I mean, 
you know you're not going to win with Peterman. Do you roll Peterman out there until it's so bad every week that you got to take him out and put Allen in just to reduce the shots that your number seven pick takes? This is just a head scratcher. I mean, Sean McDermott, I, I think a lot of times he's, I think he's known as being a smart guy. But I think last year when he started Peterman over to Rod Taylor when they had a chance to still make the playoffs, I think he overthought that decision. Yeah, there was some overthinking last year. And this year, really yeah. looks like he's overthinking it here. I mean, what do you do? They, they cannot start Nate Peterman next week, right? You can't, I don't think you can run out Allen until this offense is running better. That's probably the smart. That that probably is the smart. The Bengals move. did this with John Kitna, right, and Carson Palmer. But they did it the right way, <laughs> and it was kind of like known. It was like redshirted, and they they would go three, and everyone knew it was like a redshirt. Yeah. And if you, and the Bills could have totally done that. That's yeah. the whole thing. It's like Palmer didn't step on the field, right? Zero. Right, and Zero I think snaps. that's what the Browns are planning to do with Mayfield. Is yeah. what it sounds like. But Allen, I mean, he came off the bench. In his first NFL game, he and there, Calvin Benjamin, a touchdown hit him right in the hands. Uh, Allen flashed a little bit of why he was the number seven pick. He's big, he's athletic, he's got a good arm. Uh, he, but you're going to get him killed out there. He's going to be immediately better. He'll be five times better. Right. But is that what's really best for everyone in the long run? No, probably not. And but you know you still owe it to to your team, the other guys in that locker room. Kyle Williams came back. He could have retired. He came back to try to build off something, and this isn't that. No, he he's always chose bu- Buffalo purposely, and it's just, I mean, you it's it just looks like the bad call, a bad move, right? AJ McCarron is backing up, um, Derek Carr, and mm-hmm. he should be out there if nothing else, taking the shots that your number seven overall picks taking. Yeah, that's that's a cheap insurance policy on a guy like that. Exactly, Harold. We are going to keep it moving here. Over to your Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, they spoiled the return of Andrew Luck, America's favorite snowboarder, uh, yeah. this past weekend. Harold, uh, what did you see from your boys this this weekend? So first I'll start off by saying a- Andrew Luck is back. Um, and then I will tip my cap to Frank Reich for the game plan he put together. I think he did a great job scheming for what Andrew Luck could be expected to do early in his return. Luck made a he made a lot of nice throws enough to like let me know if he as long as he doesn't get rehurt he's back I'm not saying he's back forever like who knows well I saw that that cheap shot that he took that was yeah that was dirty dirty deeds right there yeah Yeah, totally yeah get that out I don't care yeah my guy or not that's out every time Um, and secondly if you're doing that I can't trust you to be on the field because you're gonna get yourself ejected so I don't want you doing that but that's that's another subject but yeah doing that he threw a lot of stuff underneath he utilized his tight ends the game plan was just it was it was meant to do it was meant to do that it was meant to give to give him the, the throws where he could look and hit them look and hit them kind of you know he dropped back um 59 times that's wow. a lot so i don't think you'd want to scheme it that much but wow. he, he was 39 for 59 for 319 and you know that's probably a little more than you like to see him throw that that also like, if you're dropping back that much they also had zero running game. Yeah. If you're dropping back that much, it kind of lets me know what's going on. Um, Quentin Nelson was the real deal on the inside. He, yep. he, he I think Geno might have had a sack, but if I'm thinking about how good Billings and Geno played, you did your job well. So, you know, I, I felt like, the, I think that offensive line did an okay job against what was considered a really good pass rush. Yeah, the Bengals can get after the quarterback. Yeah, That's so not the first team you'd want to play, um, you know, considering the circumstances. You know, here's your quarterback. He hasn't played in over a year. Yeah. Oh, you're going up against the Bengals D line. I mean, they get after you. Did they put him on his back a lot? Yeah, they they knocked him down a lot. 
and but yeah, it was definitely it was definitely one of those things where they where they were trying to get the ball out of his hands quick, trying to get put him put him in position to make the reads, and because he's he's a very you know he's always been a good quarterback when healthy. Yeah. So it was just kind of getting him in position and not asking him to do too much. And I think you know at the end of the day they did they asked him to do an awful lot, it's almost dropping back sixty times. Um, on the Bengals side, it was nice to see Mixon kind of being featured. You never know, even like watching the preseason games and reading all the stuff and knowing what they did last year, Bernard was going to be more involved. And I think he will be going forward, but Mixon seemed to be the real deal. You know, put up 95 on the ground. Mixon, somebody compared him to Todd Gurley, said that he can do everything that Todd Gurley can do. And, you know, I think it's going to take, you know, at least a year and some change until people can talk about Joe Mixon without talking about, you know, obviously what happened in Oklahoma. It's good to just hear him talked about in football. He... Um, yeah. Obviously, not condoning what he did, but it seems like he's he's paid his dues and yeah. um, he, he's keeping his head on straight in Cincinnati. He is a weapon, though, and with AJ Green and with that offensive line, if they can keep Andy Dalton upright, it could be a three horse race in the AFC North. There's yeah. there's there's good teams obviously there, and it looks like obviously Cleveland is going to be scrappy, but the AFC North could get a return to that power of football that you think of where. You know, it's it's after Thanksgiving, it's cold, it's snowing, and, and you know what I'm talking about. Every given Sunday, when the AFC North teams meet, it's not going to be an easy call who's going to walk out. Right. And, it, you know, there's been t- ups and downs for some of those teams where you kind of know that, like, hey, you know, we're, if, if the, if the Browns are coming here, we got them. You know, it's not going to be like that anymore. So no, if the Browns not. come to your house, be prepared. Yeah, you be know? prepared. Well, and that's that's a trait of the, the, uh, the Greg Williams defense, and it's... Look, Cleveland being that bad as they've been, it's been just bad for the sport. I agree. I think any real NFL football fan would like to see the Cleveland Browns. Uh, you don't want to say there's really no glory to return to, but it, but it's good to know that, that they're going to be in every fight. Yeah, I don't have second favorite teams, and it's even hard to like say I kind of wish the best for the Browns because they're in my division. But right. I want to see them do better than that. Yeah, well, they certainly aren't going to be doing worse. All right, Harold. So if you had to. Uh, Take a look around the league here and name your biggest surprise. Who was the biggest surprise for week one NFL? So I'm going to go with Khalil Mack. And, Khalil Mack. And how surprised Khalil Mack had a big day? or That big of a day. Okay. Just because the trade was so recent. Yep. It's not like Sandlot Ball. When you're put on the field, you are given responsibilities, duties, be here, do this. And I'm sure, you know... He has a little bit more liberty, but to be able to do that much, yeah, inserted into a defense where you're learning and trusting the people around you for the first time, what does this defense do assignment-wise on all these different types of plays where he's making plays? So it, it, it's a it is a high bar to say Mac was a surprise when we all have been saying like how good we knew he was, yeah, and I can't believe the Raiders did that. That's been our talk for like weeks now. Um, that he was sitting out, he was worth the money, like all that. It's kind of been like the recurring thing, but then to see him come out here and and do. To do that much in that short of time and make yeah. that and be that big of an impact player, and to do it on Sunday Night Football against you know arguably the game's best quarterback, I mean that is like that's showing up you know when the lights are the brightest. I mean this you're this is a guy probably doesn't even know his way around the old, his own facility yet in Chicago, and yeah, what well, he that was a that was a show on uh, on Sunday night. What's your surprise? My biggest surprise has to be Ryan Fitzpatrick, man. Not just the fact that the that the Bucks came in and beat the Saints in New Orleans with a backup quarterback, but the fact just that he was that good. Twenty one to twenty eight, four touchdowns. That's a good day for any quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
It's a great day for, a, obviously, a backup quarterback. And Fitz, it's good to see that he still has it. And like, and like we talked about, there's some uh, there's some talent down there in Tampa Bay, and it's good to see that it's not wasted. So if he does it again this week, I'd be uh, I'd be really surprised. Okay, you have any shots you want to call for week two? <laughs> week two. Uh, well, I'm going to predict that the Chargers beat up on the Bills. And, um, yeah, if Peterman's in there, I would predict uh, maybe another four or five uh, interception performance. <laughs> How about yourself? Um, so this is going to be this is going to come with a caveat. I think uh, the Chiefs are going to go into Pittsburgh and knock Pittsburgh down to zero and two. Oh one and one. Oh oh sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's rude to me. Yeah. Oh one and one. Yeah. Oh one and one. But I still think the Steelers are going to win the AFC North. Okay. I think I think this is going to happen. I think that Chiefs offense that 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 Steelers defense is still going to be struggling like yeah know, a little bit. And who knows? The, the, I don't think the offense will, but I just don't think in a track meet, if now the weather's bad and that field's horrible, that could completely blow this up. Who knows? Because sure. that field gets bad in a hurry. Yeah. And it is in Pittsburgh. But a lot of times, though, with, with rain and stuff like that, the advantage goes to the offense because they know where they're going. So it could be, you know, you see Tyreek Hill and Antonio Brown. That's a lot of speed from the 305 on the field at one time. Yeah, and it's one of those things, yeah, you're slower, but so is everyone else. Oh, so yeah. it kind of, you know, everyone feels the same amount of, like, being, you know, geared down. So. All right, so th- I think that completes our, our week one recap. We're going to shift gears and continue with our Hero Highlight segment where we bring to light people and organizations that make a difference in the world we share. Corey, what do we have this week? Okay, well, 9-11 is a sacred day in our country. And today being 9-11... I, like every other American, remember where I was 17 years ago. I remember the horrific images on television. I remember the realization that we were soon going to war. To the victims in New York, Arlington, Virginia, United Air Flight 93 and their families, to the first responders, the heroes, the firefighters and police who walked into that smoke-filled building knowing they weren't walking out. To all the young men and women of this country who decided that terrorism will be defeated. Those who signed the dotted line and swore to take up arms against our nation's enemies. To every agency around the world that works tirelessly to make sure that our borders are safe. And to the thousands of men and women of our military who are still in the fight. This podcast is for you. God bless America. Yeah, you're, you're so right. That that was, it was a defining point for our generation. You're like People, yeah. you know, every generation has those moments. You yeah. Know, something that everyone knows where they were. And what they were doing when they found out X event happened. Yeah. And that was, you know, that was ours. Like, you know, before that, you know, we were boys. We were, you know, and at that point it was like when we were becoming men, you know, we yeah. were at that age. Yeah. So like that was like a defining point of, of, of our adult, adulthood, like a, a very real adult memory where we, like, at least me, like, and I think you the same way. Well, I joined the Navy. Yeah. Was, you're start, you, yeah, yeah. You were grasping it from yeah. a different level. You weren't grasping it from a teacher or yeah. a parent explaining it. You were grasping it from your own walk in life, your own view of reality and what we were and who, you know, what was happening. You were able to dissect it yourself. Yeah, it was, you know, we, we've read a lot uh, here, Hero Highlights, about uh, about the Navy SEALs. I know Harold and I have both individually read books about the Navy SEALs, but in the 1990s, not one Navy SEAL died in combat. Not one. There, there were some that died in, in training. Post 9-11, over 90 <clears throat> have been killed in combat uh, or in training for combat. Um, yeah. Just because, you know, you're not fighting, uh, you know, an enemy that's in a uniform. Um, you know, it's, it's a terrorism war, whether they were um, 
out in the valleys of Afghanistan or, or in the cities of Iraq, um, you know, it, it, it called for a precise weapon, you know, a, a, a different type of warfare. And, and our SEAL teams and our special operators were able to provide that. And, um, and, and you know, to go, to go even a little deeper, I think... Not just provide it, they had to create it. Yeah, well, they did, and they they you know? sharpened their they sharpened yeah, their skills. They, yes. they, they changed up their fundamentals. They changed up their approach to these things. They, they were very cerebral. They were very intelligent and smart. These are some some great minds. They had to rethink what warfare looked like. It wasn't just taking something else and you know moving you know able bodied men into doing it. Yeah, you know, there's a lot that went into to getting the military from where it was. To, to where it is today. Yeah, and that's and trust me when I when we make that comment, I mean that's that's not to discount no, anything done by no. the Marines or the It was a different Army, type of warfare. Forces. It was a different type of warfare. It really that their if you ever read their ethos, the Navy SEAL ethos of their creed, that was actually created post nine eleven. Um but it's really inspiring. And and I, and you know, I know that, that they are kind of like the, the the Hollywood version of yeah. of um of warfare is what what we see, but their community, I mean you're talking about between 2,500 and 3,000 of those guys active duty at, at all times. It's yeah. a small, small community. And the losses that they have sustained <clears throat> since 9-11, um, it's been great. It's been a great loss for them. And, uh, you know, I'm just – days like today, I'm proud to be an American. I, I am. I mean, we – you know, not only has Bin Laden dead and, and it's a different generation than it was now, but, uh, you know, 9-11, it's a tough day. It means a lot for – a lot of different people, and uh, yeah, it's just the day I'm proud to be American. So anybody that's really contributed, you know, to to the uh, what it's taken to to rebuild America to get back to where we are, you know, again, this this one's for you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So um, yeah, this week is coming to a close. I want to say thank you to everyone that tuned in this week. Um, if you like what you heard, go ahead and subscribe on iTunes wherever you get your po- podcasts. And for all of our East Coast listeners that are going to be impacted by Hurricane Florence. Um, be safe, yep, be fun. smart, our thoughts and prayers are with you, right? So, um, the best to you. Until next time, God bless.